In today's episode, we're going to answer a big question on everybody's mind. Should you buy now or should you wait? Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So hope you're having yourself a wonderful day and I'm recording this on a, a Sunday morning. That's usually kind of part of my routine is before everybody gets up and we get on with the Sunday routine and the Sunday activity is I, you know, I jump onto the old studio here, turn on the old microphone and get the, you know, the Rodecaster Pro 2 and the SM7B out and I do some recording and I record the upcoming week or weeks if I if I feel so inspired to get the next couple of weeks up and running. So Sunday morning, enjoying a nice cup of coffee here and uh, recording uh, an intro to this upcoming podcast. And speaking of this podcast, this one, I, I, I pulled a quick pivot just recently. Um, this one has some really amazing, timely information that needs to be answered right away. And I had an opportunity of diving onto a um a video chat with my good friend and the main business association and relationship out in the Edmonton marketplace, Jason Mattern. And we answered a, a big giant question. And we went into so many different topics here. Like, you know, when you have between the two of us, we have almost like, I think we have like over 50 years of experience and we had so much that we, we covered, so many different directions we went. But the main intention we had was really to lean into something that some investors have on their mind right now. And that's, should we buy now or should we wait? And Jason and I give our opinions on what we should be doing on that. And towards the end, we clearly, you know, say, I asked him, Jay, are you buying right now? Or are you waiting? He gave his answer and he asked the same of me and I gave my answer. So you have to find out what our answers are going through this podcast. But I'll tell you, one of the things I, I'm very um, glad I did was I, I record, um, if any of you have ever maybe jumped onto my YouTube channel, you see I put a little bit of time and effort into the recording process, put in some production, some live camera switching, some graphics. I put a lot of time and effort into that. So if you haven't checked out the YouTube, the visual of a lot of these interviews, um, I highly encourage you to go jump in there and check that out. Cause um, you know, I, you know, sorry, I'm going <laughs> to probably be very biased here. Um, I think the quality of the product that we put out for my podcast and YouTube channel would be would rival many, many large production studios out there. And it isn't just a no simple little um, Zoom conversation. So if you haven't had a chance, by all means, there should be a note in the show link below. Go check out a YouTube video. So here's the point I was trying to get to is... Um, when the recording of Jason and I were doing, I use a, some software and I've been using it probably now for better part of five plus years. And I don't think it has ever crashed on me ever. And has it? No, I don't think it has to be, to be honest. But this time when Jay and I were recording, the software just went, and that's a technical term for it, crashed and just stopped. And thank goodness I had uh, a backup. I had a backup recording going at the same time for the audio, so I never lost any of the audio. Now, I thought after I restarted the software and restarted the program, restarted the recording, all that kind of stuff, I thought the file was there. But now when I go back to get it, you know, there was about 40, 42 minutes of it's just gone so far. Like, I have no idea how to get it back. I'm trying to find some 
recapture softwares and recapture services. And I don't know if I will get it back. I don't know if I'll get the video back. But the great news is I had the audio captured as a backup. So what's the old saying is, you know, two is one and one is none. So always have backups going of everything because the recording and the information that Jason and I were covering was just so good. It would have been an absolute shame if we would have lost it. You know, I would have had no problem. We would have could have easily redone it, recut it, but we just had some magic going. And there was some wonderful insights into this whole world of real estate investing what it takes to be successful long-term. The, and the other thing we went really deep into is um, portfolio. Like how do you be a savvy, sophisticated real estate investor looking at things based upon building out a portfolio over time? That's really one of the things you'll get out of this as a secondary intention on top of the should you buy now or wait conversation as well. So lots of deep conversation here, lots of incredible information. And you know what? Let's just get right after it here. Ladies and gentlemen, please help. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Jason Matter. Hey, Jason Matter. How are you doing, my friend? Welcome to today's show. Long time no see, my friend, first of all. Yes. Hey, Rusty. Always good to see you. Always good to see you, my friend. I know the last time uh, we did one of these ones, uh, I was out in Edmonton and I had to I had to don the furry furry cap and I had to. We were out in the frozen tundra, so I know this is now spring and uh, is are, are things melting out in, in Edmonton again? Yeah, we're on our way, Russ. It's typical Edmonton, Alberta weather. We're probably uh, sitting around zero right now. I think we're we're going to see about eight degrees today, so it's starting. But you know what? We're probably uh, for all intents and purposes, still winter here. The ground's covered in white yet, but hey, it's just nature of the uh, nature of the beast in Edmonton. Yeah, it's it's that time of year where you find out all the windshield cracks that you had over the winter, and and it's the time of year where you go through more windshield washer fluid than you go gasoline, don't you? <laughs> Uh, it's definitely car wash season. Yeah, it's definitely car wash season. But but you know, more importantly than that, there's just some really good spring activities going on in Edmonton. And I don't know in you know out where you're at. You guys are obviously much further ahead in the in the seasons than we are. But you know, things like the boat and sportsman show, and you know, the home and garden show and a renovation show are all happening. You know, in Edmonton at this time, and it's really now that the warmer weather coming uh, upon us, it's really you know, we're starting to put some excitement in the air for that spring real estate market coming again, right? We're feeling it already. Yeah, yeah. And we we shot a video a long time ago. It was back when we didn't actually know what we were doing. And we talked about this is the time of year. It's like, you know, late winter, late February, early March, when that first winter Chinook starts rolling through and everybody starts thinking about real estate again. And that's the time to, whether you're selling or buying, that's when activity starts happening out in Edmonton. Is, are you seeing that again this year? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head as we've been working with a lot of our sellers already that, you know, uh, engaged and we're looking to sell already last fall and we're saying, okay, hold it, hold it, hold it. You know, we want to hit the market timing and that timing is obviously while attitudes and that mental shift is happening in into spring and people thinking about buying and selling 
but also before the inventory hits because it's just normal activity in Edmonton. We see listings climb always in April and May when the snow is melted and people can go out and touch up the yards and paint the house and get everything ready. You know, and preferably we like to get in before that because it's it's just more of more of a driving more of a competitive environment. Yep. Less competition, right? Yep. Now I know you and I have a, a long list of a laundry list and a punch list here of things to dump into of a conversation for the YouTube and for our, our podcast as well. But before we do, I am you know. I, I always like to take a little bit of time with some personal stuff here as well. <clears throat> you had just recently, um, your son just won a fairly prestigious um, hockey tournament just recently out in uh, Penticton. So I, I know you're you're a very proud papa of of both both your children. But uh, young Harry just did, uh, did accomplish something pretty pretty accomplished, uh, pretty amazing. So maybe just share with everybody what happened. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And and thanks for that, Russ. It's uh, they, his team won the CSSHL championship, the Western Canadian championship uh, for U15 division. And you know what? I think it's like anything else. Uh, he's 13 years old and just the business side of hockey is starting to kick in and that responsibility and everything that's going. So, you know what, as a dad, uh, you know, and his parents, we couldn't be more proud of him and his team and their accomplishments, but it just happens quick. It's, you know, the the world has changed since you and I were kids, right? And, you know, we're seeing this now relaying into, into our kids' lives. Uh, but you know what? We're lucky we engaged in real estate many years ago and have the the fortunate ability to go and take that stuff in. We were out there all week. The weather wasn't so kind to us. You know what? It wasn't great weather, but that's okay. It's just nice to go and watch and, and uh, tag along. Right? Yeah, it was nice to take, um, to have the freedom to be able to take a week to be there with your son every step of the way and you know big hug and big fist bumps after every game and all that kind of stuff it was awesome and and i'll tell you I, I went out there and I Crane and I went out and watched a few games too. Is holy moly, these kids are 13 and they're like six foot one, 190 pounds. And they just lean on these sticks and roof shots. Like I, I couldn't do that today, even if I even thought about it. <laughs> Well, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know what the heck they're putting in the food nowadays, but it's uh, crazy how big these kids are. And you know what? Again, I told you this uh, in person, and I'll tell you again. It's really appreciated when uh, anytime we can spend it with you, Russ. It's always good. And you know what? Time in a hockey rink, shaking our cowbells <laughs> and high fiving one another. It was absolutely <laughs> awesome. Yeah. No, it was it was um, about as Canadian as you can get. Where <laughs> yeah. Yeah, between yeah. that and yeah. and having a beer and clam after all the victories and celebration <laughs> and stuff like that, it was it was pretty fun. I. Um, Crane and I just had a big giant smile on our face after we went home and we can't wait for the next next one. And, and next year, maybe there'll be a national championship we know, heading out to. So. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? It'll see what what transpires. All right. Well, you know, the task at hand here, we could literally so so we we've we've covered the weather, we've covered hockey, and the, the other thing that all Canadians always want to talk about is real estate. So weather, hockey, and real estate. We're doing the trifecta of a conversation here today. So before we dive into some of the things and some of the conversations that you're having. If I was, if somebody just would pick up the phone and we're talking and say, what's going on in the Edmonton real estate market? Do you have a quick, like under 90 second little um, summary of what you would say, what's going on out in Edmonton? I think it's the calm before the storm. Um, 
looking at, again, the economic fundamentals that drive a real estate market, it seems like the moons are aligning. And, and don't get me wrong, we're in a very turbulent, I think, situation still. But you know what, real estate, if we're going to own it long term, not many people buy real estate to sell it next year. You know, if you're going to own it long term, and it's part of a long term wealth creation plan or retirement plan, you're going to have to weather some storms, you know, so, you know, but really, the the amount of influx of people, the population growing, again, the jobs that are coming here, you know, and then again, comparatively looking at average home price, average household income, all these types of things to other major metropolitan centers. There's no doubt in my mind that we're going to see significant growth in the Edmonton area over the next few years. Yeah, and and I know in the past we've used the term as this is kind of like a breather, a, a little bit of a window of a breather. And 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 gang, so just as an FYI, um, for some context, if this is the first episode you've ever listened to, you're, you're hearing from two people with almost 50 years experience investing in real estate, and we're going to share the biggest, some of the biggest mistakes we've made. And ironically, not ironically, maybe a better word would be is we're seeing history repeat itself with similar new people coming in or making the exact same mistakes that we made 20 some years ago with things. And what we're here to do is our intention is to help steer the ship and help steer a lot of investors in the right direction, learning from the painful lessons that we've had. So does that sound like a good plan for you, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. It's just sharing knowledge for us, really. It's it's giving back. Uh, like I said, real estate's been super kind to me and my family. And it's it's giving back. And it's just sharing that knowledge uh, and smoothing out those bumps for for other people so they can have the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah. And and I'll be one of the, and I'll maybe go first, uh, and we can, this can be the, th- the conversation starters. One of the mistakes, biggest mistakes I have now that I've made, now that I look back upon or reflect back upon it, is, you know, real estate markets do go in cycles. They do and go in waves, right? And, and I know you nobody will ever predict the top or ever predict the bottom or any of that kind of stuff. You'll never perfectly predict it. But you can see things happening, right? Meaning you can see when, when people get overly optimistic or too much greed in the marketplace, or you can see when there's too much fear in the marketplace, right? You can just, you can get a sense for that. And the, one of the biggest mistakes I made was I bought way too much property when there was a big giant greed at the, at the top, and I didn't buy enough when there was fear in the market, and vice versa. I sold when there was fear, and I bought when there was greed, right? So, so I made the exact wrong timing of the market out there right now. So what are you seeing from people that are coming um, through your office that are looking at real estate? What are some of the mistakes that people are making right now, Jay? Well, I think, boy, there's a there's a broad question, uh, and I think. Well, let's pick one at a time, and and it could be one hundred percent. It'll be I, it'll I be one hundred percent based upon what you and I have made that we've made as mistakes, first and foremost. Yeah, and and as you alluded to, mistakes that we're seeing repeated now. Uh, you know, by other investors and, you know, buying on the right side of a real estate cycle is going to make things so much easier for anyone to get to the finish line, wherever that is for them. It's up to them to determine, like I say, if it's income replacement or how many years down the road they want the benefit of real estate to kick in. But, 
you know, uh, again, I bought properties too in 2007. I still own them today. And let me tell you, properties that I bought after in 2000, you know, 10, 11, and 12, you know, when things were cooled back down and cash flow was back in line and interest rates, uh, you know, were a little bit more friendly, are, are obviously performing well. We had gone through the the up of the real estate cycle. And even, you know, building on that properties that we bought previous to that, you know, pre-2005, say 2006, uh, you know, it just, you know, it absolutely supercharged things going through an economic boom and a, and a booming real estate environment buying and you've used this term before russ i mean it's time and market and uh you know market timing i guess they're two different stories i guess and if you're going to buy a property at any time and planned on holding on to it for 30 years and paying the mortgage off it's going to work most people don't have the patience or the ability to wait 30 years it's not part of their plan you know and, and we're looking to accelerate this so uh where we're at now and the good news with real estate is, yeah, no one can predict it. You know, there's in full disclosure, right? But my batteries didn't even run out. My magic wand, the magic wand is broke many years ago, right? Uh, but really looking with real estate, you can see, again, these fundamentals build over time. And you know what? We watched it in the Vancouver area. We watched it in the GTA, you know, starting 10 years ago. And we're seeing those same economic fundamentals starting to build on this side now. Um, and you can't really, because everyone looks, and here's probably one of the biggest mistakes. And I'll I'll refer to our friends out in the Vancouver and Toronto area, uh, because a lot of the media is, is very centric around those markets. But everyone looks and they look at, you know, What's the Canadian real estate market doing? A lot of the statistics that we see from, you know, CMHC or CREA, the Canadian Real Estate Association, are all based on Canadian real estate market uh, results. And, you know, I always tell people that's like asking people what the weather's like in Canada. It doesn't work like that. You know, each market has its own fundamentals and, you know, we need to, and it shifts. Like I say, we've seen it through different metropolitan cities. We're seeing it coming to Alberta now. And we need to really understand, need to understand the fundamentals of that specific market that you're looking to invest in. Yeah, I 100% agree. And, and, and gang is, you know, like, like, let's take an example. Here's, here's an example is everybody will sit there and look at Toronto and Vancouver. And literally when you factor in those two large real estate markets into a national number, they extremely skew the national number. Like they're, and I don't know the exact number. Like I, I've tried to find it, but I remember way back in the day, it was something like almost like 50% of the number was based upon those two markets was, was based upon that. Right. So you sit there and everybody's going, well, you know, if Vancouver is down and Toronto's down, the whole market's down while well, real estate is down. But if you sit there and you look at a place like Calgary or even Edmonton and, and Alberta, um, it's holding its own. It's like an island in all of itself, if you really dive into it, or especially if you actually dive into the affordability of houses. If you actually look at a graph of affordability of houses, you're seeing that Edmonton and Calgary are so far below their trend affordability lines that they have, you know, multiple years of growth just to get back to a trend line before they have to start overperforming, which I believe they will start overperforming very shortly. So, the question I ask people is, do you want to get on the side of it before it happens or do you want to be on the side after it happens and it's on the way down? Okay, so go ahead, Jim. 
Well, I was going to say that that's hard. That's really, really hard for a lot of people yep. to dive in and take that first step. You know, when people are, I don't want to say running for the hills, but right now people aren't running for the hills and are not diving and everyone's just kind of sitting back watching. And you know what? I think that was the right move uh, a year ago, you know, as we're going into the higher interest rate environment. But, you know, right now, uh, and again, where we're at today in, you know, late March, what happened with the financial institution uh, south of the border, you know, it is having some ripple effect with bond yield markets and potentially fixed rate mortgages. So we'll see where that goes. But uh, I mean, a, lo- a lot of the big questions, I think, is, is it now the time to invest? Should they be investing now? Or should they be waiting a year or two for rents to continue to arise and interest rates to lower down? And I've got, you know, I guess an opinion on that. And, and it's not even opinion. It's just really taking, you know, and looking at the the black and the white of it and the, the facts uh, to determine if that decision, which decision is best for each investor individually. Yeah, well, that's a, a perfect segue as to let, let's open that door and let's have that conversation. So <laughs> if somebody came to you, Jay, and they are sitting there and going, you know, okay, they, they sit there and this is usually the way some of the conversations go. Okay, I've seen some videos. I've watched some stuff. I like what I see in Alberta. It makes sense. Um, I like the population trends. I like the GDP trends. I like all that information that's going in. You know, heck, what was two, two quick stats that I just recently saw? And one was uh, you can rent a three-bedroom apartment in Alberta for $500 cheaper than a one-bedroom apartment in in Ontario. Like, think about that. You're getting three times the bedrooms for $500 cheaper, right, on, on, on that as well. And the other trend, uh, one that I saw was the amount of population that is coming to the province of Alberta is even faster than what the predictions I had been seeing. seeing. And I'm going to use a Calgary number here for a second. Calgary saw 52,000 people move to Calgary in the last 12 months of the year. Now, to put that in perspective, uh, 52,000 would be like a um, Vernon, the city of Vernon, or um, the city in, if you're out in Ontario, the city of Aurelia, or um, is it Cornwall? Maybe Cornwall. Like, think about that for a second. A city of Vernon was added to Calgary in the last 12 months. So you wonder why the listings are low, prices are high, and rents, like I'm hearing from landlords, that they're getting 30, 40 um, calls and applications when every property they come out. Now, that's Calgary. It's not happening in Edmonton yet, but I believe it's coming. What's your take on that, Jay? Well, Russ, if you look back through history, Calgary is always ahead of us in that cycle. And I don't understand why. I can't explain why. It just always is. When we went back and what I can share with you factually, you know, going back in our last real estate boom in 2006, 7 and 8, Calgary was ahead of us. And they are again. And that stuff is starting to trickle into Edmonton now where we're seeing our rental market, uh, just a, really a shortage of good rental properties. You know, population is growing here. On the flip side to that, there's also, you know, in a higher interest rate environment, it's harder to qualify for a mortgage. And we did just see an announcement here a few weeks back that OSFI, the Office for the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, they're the regulating body for Canadian financial institutions, are looking to tighten mortgage restrictions even further. So yes, that's spooky on the front lines for mom and dad home buyer wanting to buy a house. Many people that are right on a cusp today are not going to be able to buy. So what do you think those people are going to have to do? So 
us as real estate investors and landlords, yeah, it's it's really a good thing long term for us. You know, yes, it's going to be harder qualifying for mortgages, but those people that are willing to qualify or can qualify and willing to get into the marketplace are going to have even more customers to choose from. Yeah, and as a result, Russ, just like it's happening in Calgary, we're already seeing our rental market. You know, the numbers we're seeing our rental market increases. And I don't think that's going to be a short-term problem. I think this is, you know, based again on population statistics and the demand from both sides of not only growing population, but people that would have been home buyers that can't now. It's just really putting unprecedented demand on the rental market here yep. in Alberta. I agree. And and we can open and we'll I'm gonna make a note for us to circle back to this. But if you start overlaying that maybe over the past year, a lot of new home builders have not been bringing on new inventory or new land positions have not been coming because the interest rates have been going up. Once a lot of that inventory gets chewed up, there could be a year, 18 month um, gap there where there's going to be a very big shortage of, of inventory in the marketplace. And why don't we open that door? Are you Is that something you're seeing as well, Jay? Yeah, 100%, Russ. So the, and just giving you a little bit more, stretching that a little bit more and a little bit more context, it really starts with land developers when, uh, because when builders are building and selling like they were, you know, 18 months ago, and then what happened last March, we started seeing the interest rates starting to rise. So at that time, you know, the, the builders reeled back and what had happened as a result, they weren't buying new, uh, you know, lot inventory. So the developers stopped developing. Now, there's a little bit of a chain reaction there because that inventory that was to be developed last year did not get developed. So that's going to happen this year. So now, as you alluded to, the, the the builders were going gangbusters. And now what's happening is we see that inventory coming to a, you know, a really, really tight uh, position until there's more developed land. But if you look at the timeline to do this, they're not going to start this until the thaw is out of the ground. The ground is thawed here. You know, the, the most efficiently, we're probably going to see new lots hitting the front lines probably by the end of July, August, September, you know, and then doing the math from there, another 10 months to build. So now, yes, you're going to be in a situation where it's going to be 18 months to get a new home to the front lines. If you look at what this is going to do to our market at the time where we've got, you know, again, getting into record low inventory in our MLS inventory, you know, the builder inventory is being swallowed up with no new stuff sitting in behind it. Again, it's just the old supply demand economics uh, where it's going to probably drive up our real estate prices in Edmonton. Yeah. And that was almost the exact same call you and I made and I think we can even go back to the videos back in, I think it was in 2020, late 2020 or early 2021, we made the call that a lot of the inventory is going to be dried up. It's going to be sucked up and there's going to be a, a, a little bit of a boom and spike. And then I believe it would have kept continuing. It would have kept continuing in Edmonton, but we had an interest rate that curbed the enthusiasm off the market. And, but yeah. I think what that's just done is it's given us another window to buy now while everybody's taking a little breather. And there's a little bit of fear in the marketplace out there right now. Now, I know. Yeah, I think, think so. Go ahead there, Jane, please. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, and, and on the flip side to that, you know what builders do and developers do when we get into these, you know, tight inventory environments, the, the, they raise prices. And I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I mean, it's an open competitive market. But at the end of the day, when we're looking at acquiring a property into our portfolio as an investor, 
Again, this is what we really need to determine. Is it going to make sense to buy now or is it going to make sense to wait? So there's two sides to that story for sure, because the reality is we are in a higher interest rate environment today. And as a result, the cash flow is not as pretty as it was when we had 1.79% five-year fixed money, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, so we need to look at those numbers and analyze that. And if it's break even or slightly negative or slightly positive, we need to look at that and buying at a lower acquisition price today versus if we wait a year, you know, that makes sense. If that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. However, yep. I think it's going to come at a cost yep. uh, because yes, the interest rate will be lower. You know, the rents will be up, which will inherently make cash flow on performers look better. However, I think you're going to pay more money for that asset. Uh, I think undoubtedly. And I think you're also going to miss out on a year or two of mortgage principal reduction, um, you know, from a tenant. Yep. Well, so. let, let's un, let's unpack that here in a second. But bef before we unpack that, I'm just going to share one quick stat here as well. And now, this is not a guarantee, but the last time we saw population number growth like this in Alberta, um, the housing market, the housing price doubled. Just just as an FYI game, if you want to look back in time and look back at that. Now, by 100%, I am not saying that's going to happen again, but I'm a firm believer that Housing markets are people dependent. If you have people that are moving in, people that are working, it's affordable for people to spend more money on the economy. You have economic churn, you have people working, you have um, jobs, you have production happening. That is good for the psyche of a economy, which is good for the real estate market. So compare some of the fundamentals that are happening in Alberta versus other fundamentals. And you will, honestly, it's, I'm sorry, we may be preaching to the choir here a little bit, but but gang, this is that window of opportunity to potentially pick up a good, a good property in Alberta at the moment. Okay, so I'll get off my soapbox for a second. Now we're going <laughs> to yeah pivot to the conversation mm. here about buy now or wait. And this is one of those ones that we have all the time. Like this is probably the conversation that you almost have to hit on repeat <laughs> for the people you have with people. Yeah. And a lot of people are coming in and they're going, makes sense. They look at a pro forma and then all of a sudden they see, oh, it's negative $140. Well, I can't buy that. So how, how do you have that conversation with people? Well, I think it's a reality. And like I said, when you look at this, so I guess one of the questions I'll ask, and Russ, maybe I can ask your opinion on it, is how long is it going to take for our markets to stabilize again? Question mark. And I'll give my less than 30 second opinion on that. I think it's going to take some time. I know we are seeing, you know, rumblings already that the Bank of Canada is going to start reducing rates this summer. I seen this uh, article yesterday. I think it's going to take a little time. I think it could take upwards of 18 to 24 months to, you know, stabilize and get rates back down into a normal environment while our rental rates continue to rise. So if we take on average a two year uh, cycle for this to happen, and our negative cash flow is $100 a month. That's $2,400 in support payments we have to put in additionally into our investment. Yeah, that's not uh, you know a, a typical viable. We always buy for cash flow, Russ, right? We always buy for cash flow. 
But I think this is just one of those circumstances, you know, where, you know, we need to look at the other side and make sure we understand that too. Because like I said, if you're buying it and you can say, and I can, I can share with you that the prices that we're seeing from our builder groups coming on newly tendered properties are on average about $15,000 up across the board, right? So we're seeing a, if you're working at a suite at home or a grad suite, you know, they're anywhere as I would say from 50 to 30,000, depending on area. So again, if you can save that money in acquisition cost, and then you look at what's the market going to appreciate over the next couple of years. Now, no one knows that, but if we're to look and let's just use a suite at home as an example. Okay. So roughly uh, estimated purchase price. And when I quote this number, it's all in. So it's going to include landscaping and window coverings and everything that we need to put tenants in place. We're going to be in that 550,000 range. Okay. So if the market appreciates 3% per year for the next three years, that property value is going to be worth $601,000, right? If the market goes upwards of 5%, that property is going to be worth roughly 637,000. So you look at the appreciation value that we're getting there and also look at the mortgage principal reduction over that same three-year period. You know, there is over $100,000 of equity there up for grabs. And the only way to really access that is to get your name on a title and, and get, you know, the, the wheels in motion. Because past a, a three-year period, I think, you know, we're probably potentially could be in a much different, you know, uh, investing environment where rates have stabilized, you know, back down into the 3 four, uh, to 4% range. I don't know if we're ever going to see the 1.79% fixed money. I doubt it. If it does, it could take years. But I also don't feel everything uh, the economy can sustain where we're at today because of some of the you know things we're seeing on the front lines with foreclosures and defaults already starting to happen. So, and then again, what we talked about earlier with our, our rental rates continuing to rise, when you look at an analysis three years down the road, uh, you could be in a, a pretty juicy cash flow environment. So again, when you look at all that, the question is, is it worth supporting a property for two, three, four, five thousand $5,000 of negative cash flow? And you know what? I just have to say, we've got super creative with our developers and our builders, and we have ways of actually eliminating that that risk as well for a couple year period. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it is negative cash flow, you know, is it worth? Again, let's use two, three, four, five thousand dollars to capture that hundred thousand dollars. You know, by the end of the third year, via mortgage principal reduction and capital appreciation, and by buying at a, at a little bit lower acquisition price today. Yeah. Now, Question mark. Yeah, one hundred percent. And now I, I would answer that in a couple a couple ways. I would I would be very hesitant to buy a property like that in a marketplace that would be at a top of a market. And that would be at a top of a, a rental affordability. And sorry, I didn't mean to use that finger. Sorry. <laughs> the rental affordability. Uh, maybe that was a Freudian slip. And then at, at uh, in a market that you can't raise your rents based upon rent controls. I would be very leery about, about investing in a market like that. However, I would be extremely bullish about investing in a marketplace that's at a bottom of a cycle, that has an opportunity for affordability, has lots of room for rents to go up, and also does not have rent controls on the top end as well. So I would be very, that's that, in my opinion, that savvy investing. You're buying at a bottom and you're riding it up as opposed to buying at the top and riding it down, right? So so I had a, a couple things. Um, 
there's a couple things I, I made some notes on. Number one was, um, okay, so right now, and we're just being honest and real, if you were to take a look at a property in Edmonton, by and large, uh, f- f- most of them would be break even a little bit of positive cash flow, but the majority of them are probably negative cash flow. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think you're going to be break even, give or take a hundred bucks, you know, depending on that asset class and the property type. Uh, but, you know, taking again, today's, uh, you know, interest rate environment and looking at, you know, the management fees and the repairs and maintenance and the vacancy and adding that all up, you're going to be, you know, right around that break even for yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, now I actually just remembered what I was about to a point. I did have a point I was going to get to. So, so gang, it's just been one of those mornings. Have you ever had one of those mornings where I've been up since 522 and I have not stopped for day. it's just one of those days so the elephant's not going all the way to the top if you get if you get my message so okay so here was the point i was trying to get um and it was about interest rates what you talked about so we were at emergency low rates in the one and a half percent range like ridiculous like that unsustainable um the Bank of Canada and everything got shocked up to 6%, right? Which we can argue if that was the right or wrong way to do, it happened, right? It is what it is. So now, if they now get into, say, a normal rate of like four range, everybody's going, okay, maybe that's, you know, it's not, it's not six, right? And we can live with that. And now that's the new normal is to try to get it into that range. Sometimes they have to go too far to come back to what is the new um, standard that everybody wants to get into. And I have a feeling we're going to start seeing interest rates in that um, high threes, mid fours uh, ongoing go forward from here. So, and I bought, I bought hundreds right. of places at, at those interest rates, by the way. Well, and and like I say, this isn't a new environment. We went back, wind the clock back to June of 2008. This is, that was at the top of the cycle, but we were we were at a six and a quarter percent prime rate at that time, and people were lining up to buy negative cash flow real estate, just like they were in Toronto uh, a yep. year and a half ago in Vancouver, right? Yep. But, yeah, the only difference at that time was they were six to six and a quarter, but they were like seventy five basis points to one hundred basis points off prime, so we were getting things in like a five and a quarter to five fifty range at that time. And, and man, well, I don't forget we had 40 year amortizations back then too. Yeah, which, right. Don't get me wrong. that yeah. was a stupid thing to do too. Right. <laughs> 50, 15 years later and you sit there and go, Oh, mortgage pay down. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I could buy a Starbucks with yeah. that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so the, the next conversation that I want to have with that same vein is, you know, was that uh, you're doing some really cool, innovative strategies for clients to help them, um, you know, for lack of a better term, um, ride out the negative cash flow for the next two years in order for market appreciation, in order for mortgage pay down, and also rental appreciation at the same time. What are some of the things that you're doing to help clients buy in Edmonton right now, Jay? Well, Russ, we, we have to, because the, when you look at a pro forma, the Everyone's looking at cash flow, and I'm not going to discount that. You're crazy not to look at the cash flow. But there's also things in a pro forma that we can either delay or uh, prepay, if you will, and and remove those numbers out just to stabilize cash flow for the short term. Because, again, the question is, is how long is this high interest rate environment going to last? Because we look at, you know, an investment 
uh, long term or the the variables that will contribute to that. It's obviously cash flow. It's obviously mortgage principal reduction, and then we've got capital appreciation. The cash flow, I think, is more from an operating side for people just to not only have peace of mind, but if you're putting money in, it just makes sense that you want to start getting some money back out. And cash flow is one of those ways that we get, I'll use the term instant gratification. You know, a lot of times we don't know where values are at or we get our mortgage statements once a year. So it's really hard. Hey, the day we get our mortgage statements, that's a little bit to celebrate that day. But throughout the years, people really don't know what the value of that real estate is doing. Um, you know, if it's trending up and how much it's trending up, you know, but getting that cash flow in your bank account every month is just really uh, a nice feeling versus the opposite, you know, of having to, you know, throw some money at it to support it. So we're all trying to avoid that. So again, it's just getting creative with with sellers and our builder groups to really, you know, eliminate some of the things out of the pro forma, really just cutting to the chase that we can either delay and, 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 you know, buy ourselves a couple of years to let this storm cool back down. Uh, but like I said earlier, Russ, this, you know, anyone that's looking at buying real estate, um, I guess just com- being completely frank, it, it, it's, it's, it's not a passive investment. You know, you're going to have to have a little hands on here and you're going to have to manage your manager and, you know, manage the situation. And, um, you know, we can streamline that again by getting you introduced into the right professionals that really are working hard for you, uh, you know, and understanding where you're going with this and what you want out of this. But at the end of the day, like I say, it's, uh, something we're going to have to owning real estate deal with long-term. We're going to have to weather the odd storm. So anyone looking to buy, be prepared to, to, to have to put some time and effort into it. And you know, it keeps a margin. When I say margin, I mean, keep some cash and keep some, uh, you know, available time off to the side uh, to manage this stuff into weather storms. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and gang, it, it's difficult. This, this journey of real estate investing is, is, is truly, it's, it's not easy. Easy. And, you know, I, I often find people that have just got into real estate investing over the last five years, they sit there and they saw what the market has done in the last five years. That's not a normal market, gang. That That is not normal. That is extraordinary measures. That is ridiculous. And quite honestly, that probably caused more problems than it caused benefits to people as well at the same time. A real estate market should move fairly slow. It should be that turtle in fifth gear. It should take time. It should grow based upon inflation numbers. It It's something that, um, you know, it shouldn't be exciting if you're <laughs> the market, right? So just, just slow it down a little bit, gang, right now. And right now is a window that you potentially can pick up some really um, good, nice properties at the moment. Can you not, Jay? Well, and I think, uh, so the, the answer to that is yes, but I think really, you know, we're probably coming at this from the, the context or direction of long-term buy and hold, yeah. uh, more so than anything else. But I think really, you know, if anyone picks up the phone and they, and they want to have a conversation with me, one of the very first things I'm going to ask you is where does real estate fit? Why are you doing this? Real estate, I think, is a vehicle 
that we are choosing to use to get to a future financial state, just like buying a stock or a bond or anything else, right? So it's important that, you know, you, and if we're going to help you and be part of your team, that we understand, you know, where this fits. Again, is it part of a long-term wealth creation plan? Are you looking to retire off this income in 13 years time? Are you looking to just ride the market up, you know, and sell it in five years time or get to 80% if we can gauge that and then dispose of it? Each one of those have a little bit different probably plan and probably a little bit different property type that we should be looking at. So I think that's really question number one is establishing where real estate fits with people. It's, you know, investing in real estate is a very broad term. It's like buying a car, well, or buying a vehicle. Okay, well, do you need a one ton, a half ton, a car, an SUV, right? This is different too, yeah. right? Uh, and the again, Albert, once we understand the that, always goes to a truck first, don't they? Huh? I started with the one ton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Jay, yeah. I, how about my how about my Tesla? Uh, you know, which I don't have, by the way. It's just an FYI. It's, you know, well, I was going to say, you notice I didn't mention an electric vehicle, but that's a whole other story. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. And then I, I guess, Russ, once you understand that, you can really put the pieces of the puzzle together to actually help people get what they want from this. And I think this is circling right back to the beginning of our conversation here is, you know, one of the mistakes we're seeing people chime into is not really understanding what they're trying to get out of this. They're looking at, you know, the popularity and the, 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 you know, the, I don't know, the extravaganza of owning real estate. And yeah, you know what? You can make some really, really good money with real estate, but you know, there, it, it does come with some uh, responsibility. And I think it's important for people to understand that because again, once you understand that, you can really reverse engineer a plan to, to make people get what they want because we see so many people come in and buy real estate and not understand that. And guess what happens in a year or two? They get stuck with big repair bills or they get stuck with a dopey tenant, you know, turnover situation and it spooks them, you know, and then all of a sudden they're on the phone, Jay, you know what? I think we need to sell that property. I'm having some tenant issues or management issues or whatever, you know, and it's because they didn't really, you know, start with where they're headed. Uh, you know, if you're driving to Argentina, Russ, we can do that from here. From Edmonton, we can drive to Argentina, but it's going to take a little while and we need to understand the plan of how the heck we're going to get there. And it's yep. the same with a real estate journey is know where you're headed, people, and let's cater a plan to make sure you get what you want out of it. Yeah, I agree. And at the same time, you know, gang, if you're interested in just buying cheap, cheap properties and in, in, in a market Heck, Jay, we could I could show people properties that are under a hundred thousand dollars in Edmonton that might even rent for like nine hundred to eleven hundred bucks and on pro forma paper. Wow, they look fantastic. Look at that. As a matter of fact, I had a I had a chuckle yesterday. A chuckle. I it was a chuckle, but it was also a little bit of a oh, oh dear. I saw a good friend of ours who's a realtor and good for them. They sold the property in, in Edmonton and they posted that a property they sold and I recognized the property and I recognized the building. And I just sat there. My comment was, Oh darn. I feel sorry for that person that just bought that. <laughs> so, but and, and who knows? I hope that person that bought, I'm not putting any shade or any negativity on that person. Um I bought nine places in that complex and man, did I learn, I learned the lesson the hard way. And because I bought them is because they were cheap. They were 80000 to $122,000 a door and we're getting $1,100 rent. And then during the peak of everything, we were getting, honestly, we were up to almost $1,500 rent. And it was just fantastic during that time. But at the same time, it was just a bad area. 
that attracted bad tenants. And when the market turned, those those bad tenants stayed and the rents had to keep going down and, and it was just a slippery slope. Like it truly is. So yeah. one of the things that you're, yeah. you're famous about sharing with people is the three pillars of real estate. Maybe just share this with everybody in, in an update video here. What are the three pillars of real estate that are important for you, Jay? Well, what you buy, where you buy it, and most importantly, who you put in it. And it's probably not the typical process that investors engage in. People, you know, typically the common process is to, you know, find a realtor, get a whole, get on a drip list and, and get a bunch of listings sent and then look at a pro forma and then uh, submit an offer based on a pro forma. And I'm not saying that's wrong. We're absolutely going to look at pro formas, but there's so many variables outside of pro forma or that can affect that pro forma long term on your financial statement. Right. So things like, you know, management costs, your repairs and maintenance, your your tenant turnover and your vacancy costs. Those are the three big ones for us. You know, so instead of trying to find a property, you know, what we do is we start on a complete opposite end, because like I said a few moments ago, who you put in it to me is most important and ask me why if we ever get a chance to connect on the phone. Yeah, you and you I don't understand who you're you and I had a lot more hair follicles back in the day when we first started this too, right? <laughs> That's what bad, exactly. bad tenants will do to you by the way. Well, and and again it's just really you have an opportunity to select your customer, the tenant profile that you you're because you're signing up when you're buying real estate you're signing up to a relationship, right? With a tenant, you know, or many tenants throughout your term of ownership. And really you need to probably be a little selective with that and make sure you're actually doing business with a person or, a, you know, that you want to do business with, right? So, I mean, again, and, and when you look at, you know, where the tenant market is headed today, you look at the, the demand segments that are growing, they attract a specific tenant profile. So if you know who that tenant profile is, and Russ, we spend hours and hours and hours of getting feedback from our management teams and our tenants and our owners and understanding that tenant profile, but also understanding that tenant profile of, you know, where they want to live, what they want in their floor plans and in their homes, and also what they can afford. It's a moving target. What we were selling 15 years ago is not what it makes sense today. It doesn't. It's it's pivoted and it will continue to pivot. So you got to keep on top of that. But where I'm going with this is that if you understand who that target tenant profile is, again, we can easily reverse engineer the property type, the cost, the floor plan, the finishings, all and putting the eye candy in the right spots that will really attract that tenant profile over and over and over and over again. Yeah. More commonly, people do it the opposite. They go and find a property and then try and find a suitable tenant. And to me, I'm not saying that's wrong, but it just seems like you're trying to jam a square peg in a round hole. Yeah, well, well right? think, think about this for a second is, gang, what we're doing is if you're if you're a real estate investor in buy and hold real estate, essentially you're buying a business in a box, in essence. If you are going out and analyzing a retail location to put up your 7-Eleven franchise, when you be doing demographics of foot traffic, when you be doing demographics of people, when you do population demographics, when you do spending pattern habits, when you look at how many other grocery stores and convenience stores around, you would start with the foot traffic and start with the people. And then you would start negotiating on the land and then you start negotiating on the price points and then you start looking at financials. It's beyond me why real estate investors don't treat it like a business. And they start at the opposite end of going, well, what's the price? Um, is it 
cheap? Can I get a deal? And then, and then you eventually get down to it. Oh, who's the, who's the tenant person you're going to put in there? Well, that doesn't matter. Right. But that's the most important part. Yeah. Yeah. And I, Russ, the business in a box is a great analogy. And I think that's, you know, where my mindset is all the time is looking at this like a business and actually breaking it down, you know, for those business owners out there, you know, when you're looking at your financial statements, you know, you have the the income statement side and you have the balance sheet side, you know, buying the property is actually, to me, it's it's on the balance sheet side. It's an asset, right? This will, you know, it, it's got long-term debt tied to it, you know, and then all of a sudden, uh, you buy the property, you and then you close on it, and then this is where the operational side of the business kicks in, you know. And this is where really the rubber hits the road, and that operational side, Russ. If you don't understand that upfront, you're not able to manage it airtight for your term of ownership. It, the business is going to fail, or it's going to falter, and it's not going to give you what you want out of it. You don't go. McDonald's doesn't come and build and just put up a restaurant for shits and giggles in any location. You know they're doing like you said, they're doing studies of of where their customer is. They understand who their customer is. They've catered their menu. They've catered their service. Even what the people say when you walk up to the counter is just completely catered to that experience. We need to take that and put that into, you know, what we do. And it's it's not difficult, people. It's not difficult. Yep. Again, you just got to do it in the right order. Yep. And it 100% comes down to like, and you and I can probably, because we've been doing this for 20 years, we legitimately could sit there if you had two people, you know, Joan and Jane that bought the exact same property in the exact same complex at the exact same time for the exact same price. Joan and Jane, okay? Joan over here didn't manage the property very well and they didn't care about the operation side and they didn't run a tight ship and they put bad tenants in it and all of a sudden like that. But Jane over here ran a tight ship and all of a sudden the values of the property start going like this. They start getting a gap until a point where Joan sits there and goes, I can't afford this property anymore. It's costing me so much money and they have to sell it for, for, for probably a loss. Or on the other hand, the one Jane who operated this property, like, you know, just uh, like a tight ship, they're going to be able to weather the storms. And then in 15 years time from now, even though they weathered ups and downs and values went up and down. Their mortgage balance is probably next to nothing and they're able to sell it for a profit. So two people, exact same scenario, exact same properties in the same area, same price. The difference comes down to the operations over, over time. I, yep, I couldn't agree more. And really breaking that down, I guess, to the next level. Like I said earlier, it's the management cost yep. and repair and maintenance costs and probably more so than any of those two yep. is your tenant turnover costs. Yep. Uh, because every time a tenant leaves, it's going to cost you money. You got to go in and clean it up, maybe make a repair or two. You know, you got to remarket it, re-show tenants, re-screen tenant applications, and worst of all, sit on a vacant suite for a month or two while this all happens. Yep. That costs money. That costs like a couple grand at yep. least. You know, so the the model I guess we try and employ is really you know, we want to make cash flow from these, but we want you to be able to keep that cash flow and utilize it for better use of capital, either towards mortgage principal reduction or, you know, buying further investments. I sure hope you're enjoying this episode. Before we jump back to the conclusion, our strategic partners from Streetwise Mortgages are here with another important mortgaging tip. All right, take it away, Dahlia. Dahlia. 
Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and in the next series of episodes starting with today's, I will go over how financing for residential properties, which are one to four units, is different from financing for multifamily properties, which are five plus units. The first difference is how the lenders approve the mortgage. For one to four units, the lenders will qualify you for the mortgage based primarily on your personal income and personal debts. They will also take into consideration a percentage of the rental income for any rentals you hold. This will range from 50% to 100% of the rents depending on the lender. For multifamily properties, the lenders will assess the property's income and expenses, which is referred to as the net operating income. This will help determine how much debt the property can carry. Your personal income is secondary and with some lenders, it's completely irrelevant. And this is how some full-time investors qualify to scale up into multifamily assets with zero income. The second difference is lending ratios. All residential lenders, as we know, have predefined parameters in regards to how much debt you can service based on your personal income and any rental income. Those are called the debt coverage ratio, GDS, and total debt coverage ratio, TDS. So if your GDS and TDS do not fit the lender's guidelines, then the lender will either cut down the mortgage amount you're applying for or decline the deal altogether, and you'll have to go to a different lender. In multifamily financing, lenders also have predefined parameters, but they are mainly around how much debt the property not you, can carry. Those are referred to as the debt coverage servicing ratios or DCR. The maximum mortgage the property qualifies for cannot exceed the DCR guideline. The third difference is down payment. With residential properties, the minimum down payment is 20% if you qualify with the lender. With multifamily properties, the minimum with traditional lenders is 25 down and it's 15 down with CMHC. Having said that, down payment is not standard across the board. If the property cannot qualify for a 75% of its value in a mortgage with a traditional lender or 85% uh, of the value in a mortgage with CMHC based on the DCR, then the lender will cut down the loan amount and therefore a larger down payment would be required. Also, the 15% down with CMHC is based on their value versus the actual appraisal. So sometimes they may appraise a property below what the appraisal report says. So just keep that in mind. The last difference is net worth. With multifamily financing, lenders are more particular about your personal net worth compared to residential properties. The rule of thumb is that they look for 25% of the mortgage amount you are applying for in net worth, which include equity in other properties, cash, or investments, or a combination of all of the above. In the following episodes, I will cover more differences such as amortization, financing costs, and the approval timelines. So tune in. If you are looking to get into multifamily properties and are looking for guidance, or if you're currently investing in multifamily and are looking for sophisticated financing strategies to scale, such as funding for renovations, or higher loan-to-values on buildings, our team at Streetwise Mortgages would be happy to assist you. 
To discuss a deal or book a planning session, email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. So Russ, just to build off that a little bit more, as we alluded to earlier, again, those three big variables, the mortgage prints are, sorry, mortgage print, the management cost, the repairs and maintenance, and the tenant turnover vacancy cost. Because every time a tenant's going to leave, it's going to cost you money. You're going to have to go in and clean it up, maybe make a repair or two, you know, rescreen tenant application, show it and sit on a vacant suite for a month or two. So it's going to cost you a couple thousand bucks. That couple thousand bucks is going to have to be supported from somewhere. And if you're not making cash flow, you're going to have to support it as an investor. Now, our mandate is really to allow us to make cash flow as investors and take that cash flow and put it to good use, either by contributing to mortgage principal reduction on current assets or buying more assets with it. That's a way better use of capital. And your story about, I think, Joan and Jane or whoever we're talking about here... (laughs) I have been in complexes with people and in having homes literally down the block from one another, running an airtight ship. And I know for a fact, we've been renting our properties $100 or $200 more per month because we have and take care of it, uh, you know, and have maintained it or we, you know, have... Uh, you know, great tenants in there that stay long-term. And again, attracting that bad tenant profile or, uh, uh, you know, a profile that maybe stays shorter term or one that isn't going to value it as their home, you know, when they leave, it's kind of left in that same condition. And then you have to put more money at it versus having a really good tenant profile that, you know, they're staying in there three, four five years. It just makes your whole, you know, management cycle in during your term of ownership, very regulated and very consistent performance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to be what you've done over the past, you know, let's call it 10 years is you've actually taken that the next step forward is that you, you don't recommend people to go buy in bad areas with bad tenant profiles and just weather the storm and manage it and get through it. And, you know, just kind of limp along and struggle along. You've actually taken it. The next step is, okay, let's find the best tenant profiles and let's match the, a new house to it in a, in an area that will fit them. And you actually remove a lot of that struggle. Like, don't get me wrong. It's, there's going to be challenges and there's going to be problems, but through the design process, you actually can eliminate a lot of those struggles and challenges for people, can you not? Yes. The short, solid answer is yes, because just think of it, and I'm going to reference the Ford F-150. You know, they cater to a very specific customer, okay? That that might be Ford's highest producing vehicle, you know, as far as sales, because it attracts a specific customer. What we've done is the same thing as we understand who that tenant profile is. And what we do is we have properties in constant procurement that are attracting that specific tenant profile. And all we do every year is just make it a little bit better, make it a little bit better, you know, and follow that trend. Because like I said, that trend does move. And there's other, also other things like municipal bylaw changes and relaxations that actually allow us to maybe innovate those designs and plans and make them better too. But really, it's just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. It's just, you know, you've got a, a business process and we just employ that time and time again. Now, what does that do for us and investors? Russ, it takes the guesswork out of it. Because when I put a pro forma in front of you, we've literally got dozens, you know, literally probably hundreds of these properties deployed into the marketplace 
we know who our tenant is. We know what we're renting them for. And again, all that feedback has been implemented into these properties. So again, just takes the guesswork out of trying to find a property and then trying to find a tenant. No, it's again, understanding who our customer is and doing the opposite, but just being able to do it in, you know, mass volume. So again, it creates a competitive advantage for our investors because we're buying it, you know, we're getting discounts and, uh, and, and good product, good solid product with a proven track record. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there'll be, there'll always be ups and downs. There will always be challenges, but there's a lot of that you can, you can help mitigate in the design process in advance with a little bit of planning. And that's really what your your specialty is. Now, at the same time, everybody who sits there going, you know, but Jay, I, I want a deal. I need this to be the cheapest possible. I need this to be at the deal. But in order to do that planning and to have all those extra attention to detail of things to have a long-term smooth ownership experience, sometimes there is a little bit of a cost at that. There's a little bit of a fine line and there's a, a balancing act in there, if you will, right? Well, and I think that just starts with giving people the right information, Russ. And that's really step one. Uh, like I said earlier, is understanding what you're trying to achieve with this. Because if I think you're on to the wrong path, perhaps I will challenge that, you know, your, your thinking, um, you know, Hey, you told me this, but you're asking for this. It's just not quite lining up. Right. So yeah. we just need to understand why. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's what a relationship is all about. I mean, we're, people are entrusting us to, you know, find them the, the right assets that will set their property management team up for success and regulate that long-term ownership. Because like I said, the real estate is just the vehicle that we're using to get to a future financial state. We're trying to do that and make sure people get what they want from it financially, but we're also trying to do it to, and make sure that we either don't disrupt their current lifestyle and give them a property that's going to cause them a headache. You know, real estate is hands-on, but it can be pretty minimal hands-on if we do this right. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, and here's the thing is I have conversations with investors all day long, whether they want to you know, invest alongside me or they need some coaching and support or they want to, you know, invest into a project at the same time. Everybody always comes back and say, well, I want a deal. I want a good deal. And then I always will ask the question is, okay, what does that mean? What does a good deal mean to you? And usually when very, like a lot of people always say, well, I just want the cheapest price and I just want this kind of stuff. I get that. I, I'm not the person for them, if that will, if you will. Um, most people will come to a point where they, th what they're really talking about is they want good value. They want a good value in a property. They want to know that the price that they're paying is they're getting a phenomenal value of a property that they're buying as opposed to a good deal. So that's just kind of something that I hear all the time. Is that something you experience as well? Well, I think value is probably the key word that I use is, again, you know, do, do you want a good deal or do you want a solid retirement plan? Uh, because the, the two might not actually, you know, communicate with one another. But yeah, uh, you know, the, the one's inherent value of an asset. And again, whether that be a piece of real estate or a stock or bond, you're putting money into it. You know, you should have very clear expectations of what you're trying to get out of it. And again, that's something that I see a lot of people not being clear with Russ of what they're trying to get out of this investment. They're just, you know, they're just trying to make money. And I understand that we're all trying to make money. But like I say that, you know, if you, if you can boil it down and understand if you want that money in next year, the year after, you know, or 15 years down the road, it's going to make a difference of what you buy. Yeah. Right. Yep. 
price is what you pay, value is what you get. And I know right, and 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 the financing and everything, it's going to make a difference to that whole plan. Yeah, and I and at this time of year, it's every year it just. The, the spotlight gets larger and larger for me. I sit there and I look at my portfolio and I look at properties that were bought based upon cheap in cheap areas, bad tenant profiles versus good tenant profiles in good areas, brand new construction housing, and the black and white numbers just speak for themselves, number one. But if I actually really look at it on which ones were the biggest stress pains in the ass, pardon my language, and the ones that probably took my most time, it was all of the ones that were not intentionally purchased. It was not the new construction. It was not the good tenant profiles that matched in the right area with the right properties. It was, it's just, it's it's night and day difference. And every year, especially during year-end uh, season of putting statements together, it it just shines a spotlight even brighter each and every year. Yeah. Yes, it makes a difference. It 100% makes a difference. Yeah. Now, Jay, okay, so I'm going to wrap this up here quick, fairly quick here. And I know you're a busy guy and there's lots of things on the go. But if someone came to you, and I and I know we, we went in depth into this a little bit more, but if someone came to you right now and they said, Jay, with your 25 years of experience and that giant, you know, brain of knowledge and everything that you got on the top of your shoulders... Should I buy now or should I wait? What would be your succinct answer to that person? Well, I think uh, really it depends. And let me give a little bit context. I'm not trying to avoid the question. If it's me, I'm buying now uh, because my risk tolerance is a little bit you know, I can absorb some negative cash flow if I need to me, uh, the the acquisition price and getting rolling on mortgage production is more important to me today. Now, that's not for everybody, right? If you're, uh, you know, your your risk tolerance is, you know, you're, you know, you want to make sure that it, the property can support itself, you know, maybe you do need to wait a little bit, uh, you know, and let things kind of stabilize a bit. But I think that is an individual answer for everyone, Russ. And I think, the beauty of new construction of what we do is we've got right now over 50 properties in procurement at various stages of construction, you know, and some of them are literally, you know, 10, 12, 15 months out. We can lock in our price today, you know, with a minimal deposit and, you know, really uh, let the market do its thing. And you close on this thing next year and, you know, you're kind of getting the best of both worlds there, but you know, again, it's taking that first step. And I think to take that first step is we just got to connect with people and really lay the black and white out for them that if you're looking and your budget is $100,000 or 200, you know, and we determine that this is the best property type, let's actually look at that number and say, okay, here's the potential negative cash flow with that property. And here's the potential upside to it. And then you've got the information that you need to make a good decision for you and your family. Yep. Period. Yep. So, so great, great answer. And, and Jay, you should be a politician, by the way, my friend. <laughs> but, 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 okay. Here's a here's a here's a direct question, and I you already answered it, and I'm just gonna just drive the point home. As a veteran real estate investor of 25 years, are you buying properties right now? Yes. And and I answer with the yep. exact same yes myself. I'm actually, I think right now is a fantastic time to to get back in the market and buy more properties. 
And I'm having the same conversation with veteran savvy investors in that 20 plus year range. And every single one of them are telling me the exact same thing too. So you do what you need to do for you, but sometimes maybe you need to follow the veteran savvy people that have been through the wars and find out what they're doing for themselves. I think so. You know, there's so much to arrest, like I say, with personal circumstance and being able to support if you can. And if you can't listen, I understand. And if it's just outside of your comfort zone, I get it. I get it. You know, we're looking to real estate investing, you know, is again, uh, about making money, really, let's just cut to the chase. We're trying to make money with this. We're not trying to support it or, you know, give ourselves something to do. We're trying to make money, uh, and how we can make the biggest, you know, uh, you know, ROI is I think buying at a time where you can save on acquisition price. Yes, cash flow is a little, little tight right now, but the the properties we're going to put in front of you are going to be you know airtight as far as being able to run your management, the repair and maintenance. They're going to be brand new, you know. So for the most part, I mean, we do uh, get some resale properties, but when you're buying a new property that has you know ten years prorated warranty to it, they attract tenants. I tell you, tenants love these things, guys. When you you know we put these properties on the front lines for rent, you know everyone loves a new house, man. They just smell good, they look good, you know. It's it's just you know the tenants want them. So again. And having tenants at maximum rental values is an absolute key component <laughs> to a successful real estate investment, yeah. period. Yeah, and, and, and I'm going to give you a little bit of props here for a second. One of the things I like about working with you is, is you'll you'll tell us you'll tell me the truth and you'll tell your clients the truth you'll 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 not sugarcoat it and there could be easily somebody could sit there and juice up a pro forma and say, oh, look, it's positive cash flow. Everything's wonderful. And then when you own it and you buy it and you go, well, that wasn't true, right? But I'd much rather have you tell me the truth than here's where the way numbers are going to look. Here's what, here's the plan for the next two years. Here's the plan. You have to normalize it for two years. But the reason why you're normalizing it is because you're picking it up at a cheaper price today. It's just like, Savvy investors who maybe buy like a multifamily property on day one, it doesn't cash flow, right? The reason why it doesn't cash flow is because you're picking up at a good price. And then over a period of time, you're normalizing the rent, you're getting expenses down, you're getting the cash flow up. So why not apply that same savvy investing into maybe a single family property uh, as well? But the point I'm trying to get to is I, I, I commend you. I love your intention and your attitude of just telling the truth. And uh, there's no, there's no, um, you know where you stand with you. I just wanted to give you that acknowledgement. Thanks, Russ. I do appreciate that. And like I've said, uh, literally hundreds of times, to me, it's all about the relationship. I'm after relationships. The properties come and go. Uh, and if I was to bullshit you or anyone else every time I talk to them, what good would that do to the relationship? People are going to pick up on that instantly. Yeah. You know, and again, this isn't about me. Uh, this is about, you know, an investor and their family of what they're trying to achieve. All I can do is sit here and maybe challenge their way of thinking, you know, and maybe give them some information where they can make a really good decision and actually get what they want out of it versus being sold some. Yeah. There's no selling involved. It's really putting an asset into your family that's going to give you what you want a few years down the road and a story. It's just that simple. And it just starts really rust with a phone call yep. period of, of getting to learn and understand. And, you know, uh, I ask people to be a little bit patient with us through that process, because that's really what we're trying to do is just get an understanding of where they're headed. And once we have that understanding, I am 
humbly confident confident in our ability to place assets into them that are going to work for yeah. them. Yeah, and it's not it's not being it's not a recommendation based upon trying to sell something. It's a recommendation based upon here's all the mistakes I've made, here's the pain and you know, challenges I've made, here's how they've been solved. And if you actually go this route, you will solve a lot of those mistakes. Now, you make the choice for you, if that makes sense for you. So how can somebody get a hold of you, Jay, if somebody is interested in uh, having one of these consultations? Well, I think the easiest for us, and I'm sure you've got a link in the video here right at the bottom where they can just link to, it's going to be an easy landing page. Uh, folks, it's just a couple of questions on that landing page, you know, uh, of how we can connect. And really the first step is a phone call. Uh, no strings attached, like I say, is really, you need information at this point. I completely understand that. And it starts with getting you the right information. But honestly, it's not going to be a, a template information. You need specific information. Everyone's different. Everyone's got a different plan, you know. And once we understand that, like I say, we can get that information to you that'll help you and your family make a great decision. Again, getting the property is the easy part. You know, our mind today is focused on your operational side of the business. When you hand the keys to your property manager from years one to 15, this thing has to work. Uh, you know, again, respectfully, getting the property is is really the easiest part. We've got the, the business process and gear for that. It's in motion. Um, and you know what? There's lots out there to choose from. Uh, you know, the deals are getting a little tight nowadays, <laughs> just based on supply demand. But you know what? There's lots to go around. It's just really making sure we get you the right one. Yep. Awesome. I 100% echo that as well. And as we sign off here, Jay, um, maybe I'm going to give you the last word um, here. So one of the things I always like to leave off kind of on episodes, you've been a part of this as well, is, a, is just if somebody's feeling a little bit stuck, maybe right now they're sitting there and they're, they're, they're on these and I'm holding up uh, one of these fancy dancy uh, mobile devices and they're, they're in the cesspool in the scroll hole of Twitters and Facebooks and all this kind of stuff. And they're seeing all this kind of stuff and they're feeling just a little bit of fear. Maybe they're just feeling a little bit stuck. What advice would you give to mm -hmm. somebody if you had a chance to have a coffee with somebody who's just feeling a little bit stuck right now? I would say run your own race, stay in your own lane. Because when you look at a lot of the, you know, the events and everything going on, they're 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 teaching a, a very generic way of engaging in real estate. And like I said, every family, every person, every investor has a different plan for their future. Okay. And again, real estate's just the vehicle. But once you understand that, you know, stick in your lane. You know, and it's hard today. I get it. The social media and news traveling around and going to the coffee shops and the band concert at school and talking with your neighbor and they're like, oh my God, you see what's happening in the real estate market? You know what? Get the facts from a trusted source. You know, get the real facts and just, you know, cater a plan that works for you. And you know what? I guess the last advice on that is once you have all that, Go with your gut feeling. I don't think you'll ever go wrong listening to your gut and your heart. And uh, to, to, in order to get that proper gut and heart feeling, I think you need the right information put in front of you. Wow. We couldn't have said it better myself. And I've been sleeping at the switch here, Jay. You've been just bringing, bringing fire and dropping bombs and all this kind of stuff. And I'm supposed to push these little buttons here, but I keep hitting the wrong button here. So <laughs> hang on a sec, Gary. 
dropping bombs, my friend, and bringing the fire. All right. And 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 coming from a man, you know, trust trust your gut. You know, sometimes your gut's a little bit different after you had some some uh, some white spot. Uh, you know, um, nice. Um, what was the chicken and hash breakfast? Oh, that was good. How about the chicken and waffles? Hey. The chicken and waffles that we had too. That was good. Chicken hash waffles with a beer and a clam. <laughs> I tell you, that's that's just a little bit of Alberta and BC mixed in one breakfast. Yeah, I, I was surprised that Penticton <laughs> was even to accommodate you. But it just Penticton's got a little bit of a little bit of an Alberta redneck feel to it in many respects. So it does. Yeah, a lot of Albertans living out there in the wintertime, I think. Yep. Yeah, awesome. Well, Jay, um, fantastic. So so once again, thank you for your time. Thank you for all your insights into this. And, and, and Jay and I just gang, Jay and I have, you know, just bantering back and forth. We, uh, we, we literally talk probably three times a week. And sometimes I always have to make, when we do these recordings, I always have to be careful that we're not telling inside things that just Jay and I know about, because we sometimes read each other's minds and thoughts, but, um, the point I'm trying to make is we're going to make a commitment to bring out a little bit more regular content. And, and you know, you had a little, there was an event that happened over the past year, which I think maybe we'll share that in another episode uh, of some of the, some of the pretty big lessons that you've learned over the past year. You've, you've mm-hmm. re you've reinvented and redeveloped yourself in, in many respects. And sometimes it's forced upon us and sometimes it's uh, it's by design. Um, but I think there's a really cool story there to share. Would you be open for that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think at this stage of, of of life for me, I certainly don't plan on going anywhere, anywhere anytime soon, but it's really, you know, it's uh, it's about sharing that message, Russ. And I guess, you know, prompts back to you to allow me to share uh, my experience, you know, on your platform. I, I really appreciate it. And I know, and I hope that it creates value for people and, and gets people thinking, yep. uh, you know, there is no wrong, right or uh, right or wrong way. I, I think you got to do it your way. And again, that just starts with getting the right information and understanding it and flying into real estate investing and deals with your eyes wide open. The rest will work itself out. Now, I've said it once. I'll say it again until the end of time. You are one of the best kept secrets in this game of real estate. And... um, if, if the Lord willing, I'd love to share you a little bit more because I think, I think we need more Jason Matterns in this real estate investing space to, to just tell the truth, tell it the way it is, not try to sugarcoat something and sell something. And it's not always about rah, rah, rah. It's, it, no, don't get us wrong. It's, it's about let's go. And let's be careful. But at the same time, um, here's some of the lessons I've learned along the way. So a lot more to come. So gang, what did you think? Did you like that conversation? Did we go into, uh, did we give you enough uh, context and information and thought-provoking questions for you to be able to answer the question for yourself if you should buy now or wait? That was one of our intentions is maybe not just tell you what you should do. We, we succinctly told what we are doing, very, very <laughs> clearly said what we're doing. But then we, Jason and I both asked some amazing questions to help you determine what is the right course of action for you. Okay, gang, um, hope you had uh, took a lot of notes from this one. And if you are ever interested in having a conversation about, um, you know, taking a look at the Edmonton Marketplace, I'm, I'm all in. I'm diving back in 
into acquiring properties in a very big way again. Um, I think there's an incredible opportunity at play right now for doing some mid-tier infill developments in Edmonton right now. And Next episode, I'll talk more about that, about um, solving some of the big challenges out there of housing. Like one of the biggest challenge in the Canadian housing market is that there's too many people coming into Canada. And that's not maybe not a problem. The problem is that there's not enough housing for them. So if you're going to be a solution provider of building affordable, great rental properties and also properties for people to buy, multi-generational housing, I think you can have a wonderful opportunity in the market upcoming. And I think Edmonton is just poised to just... Um, to, to capitalize on this opportunity, to really dive into this um, niche of taking a property where there was one, subdividing it, turning into, you know, four, six, eight. In one case, we're looking at plans right now where we potentially can put nine units on one lot. Like, that's crazy. Like, where there's one house right now, and after we're done, there could be nine properties on it and you'd be surprised at the numbers on honestly goodness the numbers of that including land including build would be less than one house in the greater than gta or vancouver to build nine units for less price than it would cost to buy one single family house in vancouver or toronto it's just crazy crazy stuff more details to follow but here's the message if any of you would like to potentially have a conversation about this, if any of you would like to get involved in the ground floor on an opportunity like this, I am analyzing deals left, right, and center, and I'm moving with some velocity here. So if you want to get on the train and you want to move along very, very fast here, and maybe you like some of these small um, missing middle developments that I'm calling it, this will be an opportunity for you. So here's what I'm saying. When the show notes below, my email address is there. Hit me up. I'd love to have a conversation with you if this is a fit. Okay, gang? And always remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.